It's Monday, September 30th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. A deadly fire at a Greek refugee camp is making the world reckon with the fact that the European migrant crisis never really ended. Then, one candidate for president is taking a stand on campaign finance reform, as long as he can get someone in the government to sign the paperwork. And finally, it's International Podcast Day, and we want to spend it learning more about you. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. Today's episode is brought to you by John Hancock. They have over 150 years of financial expertise to help you plan for the future. We have 10 minutes to give you the news. The most complicated story today is about the European refugee crisis. Newsflash, the story never really went away. Large numbers of refugees have been trying to reach Europe for years. But the issue's back in the headlines because the number of refugee arrivals is on the rise again. And the EU system of dealing with refugees is under stress. So today we're going to get into why refugees are still fleeing to Europe how refugee arrivals compare to the height of the crisis a few years ago, and what steps are being taken to respond. First up, why this story is back in the news. Yesterday, a fire broke out at a refugee camp on the Greek island of Lesbos. The camp is made up of tents and shipping containers. And on Sunday, The Guardian published a video showing some of those containers on fire. At least one person died and people in the camp accused authorities in Lesbos of responding slowly. Refugees and Greek police ended up clashing. It turns out, people living in this camp, known as Moria, have been angry for a while. Last year, the BBC called the Moria camp, quote, the worst refugee camp on Earth. A reporter allowed in witnessed long lines for food, the lack of a sewage system, and severe overcrowding. Get this, the Moria camp has enough facilities to host 3,000 refugees. But according to recent reports, it's now home to about 13,000. Meanwhile, the number of refugees arriving in Greece lately is on the rise. New data from the United Nations found that just last week, more than 3,000 people arrived in Greece's Aegean islands. Most were coming from Afghanistan and Syria, but nearly 10% were from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, about 3,000 miles away. So, in some ways, this European refugee crisis is really a global one. So what's driving this continued migration? For one thing, the crises that people are fleeing aren't going away. In Syria, the government and opposition say they hope to start drafting a new constitution. But that could take a long time, and the violence is continuing in many parts of the country. Tens of thousands of Syrian refugees are starting to return home but millions more are still displaced. Meanwhile, the situation in Afghanistan is also tenuous as the Taliban gain strength, and conflicts from Yemen to Libya to Central Africa keep pushing people to try and find safety somewhere else. So how do the refugee arrivals we're now seeing in Europe compare to what we've seen before? During the peak of the European refugee crisis in 2015, Greece was the biggest portal through which refugees were fleeing to Europe and European countries were struggling to respond. As countries like Hungary and Bulgaria started building border walls and fences, EU leaders tried to figure out a high-level strategy. And they sort of did. In March 2016, they struck a deal with Turkey, which isn't in the EU, but the deal offered to reconsider that. And the EU said they would pay Turkey 
to stop refugees from crossing over next door to Greece. And it worked, in a way. The number of refugees trying to reach the EU dropped dramatically. During the fall of 2015, more than 200,000 people were showing up in Greece each month. But by the summer of 2016, that dropped to just 2,000 a month. So how's the EU-Turkey deal holding up? Technically, the deal's still on, and Turkey is hosting more refugees and migrants than it was before. But some say the deal comes with serious consequences, like forcing asylum seekers to wait out the process on the Greek islands, instead of being able to travel to the mainland, meaning a lot of people are stuck at camps like Moria. Today, Amnesty International called the fire over the weekend at Moria preventable and said the EU-Turkey deal violated the dignity of migrants by trapping them on the Greek islands. And there are bigger problems. Turkey says the EU owes it several billion dollars for dealing with all the refugees. And earlier this month, Turkey's president said, if you don't hand over the money, watch out. He threatened to allow Syrian refugees staying in Turkey to start heading back through Europe. European leaders are taking the threat seriously. Turkish media is reporting that top officials from both Germany and France are flying to Turkey this week to figure out how to keep that 2016 refugee deal alive. So what's the skim? Between this weekend's tragedy on Lesbos and the potential breakdown of this EU-Turkey deal, the European migrant crisis is back in the headlines. 12,000 migrants arrived in Greece this month, the most since the EU and Turkey struck that deal in 2016. So there's a growing sense that something needs to happen. We don't know what that will be, but since fixing the conflicts that lead people to become refugees in the first place feels so impossible, the EU might say it's just easier to cut Turkey a big check. heard that Montana's governor, Steve Bullock, is also running for president. Here he is announcing in May. That's why we need to defeat Donald Trump in 2020 and defeat the corrupt system that lets campaign money drown out the people's voice. Bullock didn't qualify for the last Democratic debate, in part because he couldn't convince enough people to donate to his campaign, which is kind of fitting because his signature issue is campaign finance reform, aka adding restrictions on how money influences politics. But today, Bullock's campaign announced that he's breaking new ground to practice what he's preaching, becoming the first Democratic candidate this primary to apply for public financing. So what does that mean? Well, every year when you pay taxes, there's a box you can check to donate $3 to the presidential election campaign fund. And then the Federal Election Commission takes that money and offers candidates running for office a match of up to $250 on each donation they receive. These funds were created after the Watergate scandal to try to reduce the influence big donors have on campaigns. And in the past, supporters say the funds can help level the playing field and let candidates focus on campaigning instead of having to hit people up for money all the time. Candidates took advantage of this for years, until the 2000 election, when then-candidate George W. Bush turned down the free money during the primaries and set a new precedent. Since then, thanks in part to the Supreme Court, there's all kinds of money to be had during election season for both campaigns and political action committees. Candidates have done this since then, 
but Bullock is the first Democrat in this presidential election to request the funds. He could end up getting anywhere from $1 to $2 million. But there's a catch. You see, he needs to request these funds from the FEC, but the FEC is kind of a mess right now. Last month, one of the FEC's commissioners resigned. He didn't give a reason why, but he'd been there for over a decade. But what that means is only three out of six FEC seats are filled right now. And the law says there needs to be four commissioners to get anything done. So a new commissioner would need to be nominated by the president and confirmed by the Senate before Bullock can even have a chance to access the public funds. And this doesn't just affect Bullock. It affects the FEC's ability to do much of anything. Everything from levying fines to launching investigations. So, not a great position for the country's election regulation agency to be in as we head into election season. At Skim This, we're here to help you get ahead of the curve. We'll give you what you need to know today so you're ready for tomorrow, and maybe for years to come. Preparing for tomorrow also means thinking about your financial future, retirement, and life insurance, here and now, even if you don't think it's time to start even if you have no idea where to begin. That's why we're partnering with John Hancock to help you figure it all out. Together, we're making it easier to live smarter, plan smarter, and face the future, whatever that looks like for you. Go to theskim.com forward slash future to learn more. Today, we're talking about one of the major life events you might be planning for, buying a home. Economists are now saying now could be a great time to buy a house. So last month, sales of homes, condos, and co-ops rose to a 17-month high in the U.S., and about a third of those sales went to first-time home buyers. The National Association of Realtors says more people are buying homes because mortgage rates are going down. Remember, a mortgage is a loan you get from a bank or other lender to buy a home before you have enough money to do that on your own. And the mortgage rate is how much interest you have to pay the bank in exchange for that favor. The economy has been on the up and up for the past 11 years since the Great Recession. It's the longest economic expansion in U.S. history. And right now, mortgage rates are at some of the lowest rates in 50 years. We're talking really low. The average fixed rate mortgage for a 30-year loan is at about 3.62%, nearly a whole percentage point lower than the average rate in 2018. By the way, other things that can help you get a better interest rate are having a good credit score, and putting down a sizable down payment. Every little bit helps. Before we go today, we've got a fun fact coming to you from us. Today is International Podcast Day. Fun fact, podcasting became a thing in 2004. The following year, Steve Jobs called podcasting the next generation of radio. And Apple took it mainstream by adding it to iTunes. Today, there are over 750,000 different podcasts to choose from. Here at Skim HQ, we love bringing you new episodes of Skim This every weekday. And to commemorate the day, we'd love to know more about you, our dear listeners. Where do you like to listen to our show? When do you listen? Tell us what you think about us by leaving us a voicemail at 646-461-6370. You could hear your voice on our show. Be sure to leave your name and number. More info on that in the show notes. And thanks for hearing us out.
that's all for Skim This. Thanks again for listening and be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to add the skim to your morning routine, you can sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Skim, right on our website at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox.